Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God uh, who has made yourself known. You're a God who speaks, and you speak to us through your word. We thank you for it, and we pray that today, um, uh, the message of Isaiah 42 that we're looking at, we pray that uh, it would penetrate our our minds and our hearts, that we would be changed uh, to see your glory even more, uh, and that our lives would be transformed by it. So um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bible reading is taken from Isaiah 42, reading verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Before we kick in, if you'd like to join me in prayer, let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible um, hope that it holds out to us. We thank you that it speaks into the reality of life, into all the messiness of life, and speaks a word of comfort. Thank you for this passage. Uh, Please give us minds that can understand it and hearts that are ready to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if we can get the other sermon slides up as well, that'd be great. Well, friends, um, uh, if you've ever experienced a case of mistaken identity, you'll know how embarrassing it can be. Uh, I have a distinct memory from when I was a kid, and maybe some of you have done this as well. I think it's a pretty common uh, kind of thing that happens. I've this distinct uh, memory uh, of being at the shops. I'm a bit loud, I think, coming through. Yeah, so if we could just get turned down a bit. There we go, just a, just a little bit. Thank you. Uh, I have this distinct memory of being at the shops uh, and when, when you're a kid, and if you, have you ever experienced this, you've probably heard of other people who have had this experience, you uh, get a little bit lost and you start to panic a little bit and you, miss, you, you can't find your mum and you turn around and there she is at down the other end of the aisle and you race down and grab her legs and give her a big bear hug and then you look up. <laughs> have you, you know, this feeling and you realise, 
Oh dear, <laughs> that's not mum! <laughs> it's someone else! I have a distinct memory of doing that. It's obviously stuck in my mind. Um, and you can imagine how horrified I was um, to have this case of mistaken identity. But when you mistake someone's identity, when you don't see clearly who they are, you relate to them in an inappropriate way, right? <laughs> it was, you know, that was an inappropriate, understandable and all of that. Uh, but it was an inappropriate way to relate to that woman who I thought was my mum because I mistook who she was. So it was a case of mistaken identity. It can be pretty embarrassing. But depending on who it is you're mistaking, uh, it can be not just embarrassing. I mean, the stakes can be very high, can't they? Uh, the stakes can be high if you mistake someone's identity. And it's no different with, when it comes to the question of who Jesus is of who Jesus is. Um, friends, in the weeks leading up to Easter, uh, churches often take the time, and that's what we'll be doing you know, over the next few weeks, to uh, think specifically in a focused way and reflect on this question of particularly of who Jesus is and on his mission, what he came to do. Because who we see Jesus as, who we see, who we see him is, uh, as, shapes the way we relate to him. It shapes the way we relate to him. And we'll see that as we go along, that the stakes here are high. They are the highest. That nothing else matters more than seeing this clearly. Who Jesus is and what he has done and relating to him in an appropriate way. Of course we've been doing that um, uh, through our series, through John's Gospel. We actually do that pretty much, we do that every week here at Trinity South Coast. But we're going to try and do it in a focused way over these five weeks, particularly looking at um, the book, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Uh, it's important that we do that uh, because Jesus doesn't come in a vacuum. He doesn't just appear out of nowhere. He comes as uh, the climax and the fulfillment of the long story of God with his people Israel. That's the story of the Old Testament. And the more we get a sense of that, the better we will know him. It's also important because what we're going to do over the next five weeks is focus on one of the central characters uh, in this book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is kind of a high point of Old Testament hope and theology. And what we're going to do is focus on really the central character that comes out as you read through Isaiah is this at times shadowy figure called the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord. He's key to the whole book. And consistently, when you get to the New Testament, the part of the Bible that's written after Jesus, consistently people refer back to these, what they call servant songs, these songs about the servants. They refer back to these to understand who Jesus was, what his mission was, what he came to do. They're incredibly important. But just before we get to the specifics of this kind of first servant song, it's also really important that we uh, kind of locate ourselves in the big picture of the Bible. So we're just going to do that briefly, and this will become significant uh, as, we, um, as we think later on about how this reflects on our own lives. So it is an important sort of thing we need to do. Um, just briefly, uh, and hopefully this is becoming more and more familiar to you, it's really critical actually that we get a hold of this big picture so we can see where all the different bits fit together. Uh, the Bible, a story all about Jesus... <laughs> Uh, split into Old and New Testaments, begins with the creation of everything out of nothing, created good, 
very good, but it also tells the tragic story of humanity as those who have fallen, those who have turned their back from God, rejected him, and that fall has corrupted and dislocated, disoriented everything in the world. Um, we ha- we've had the privilege over the last two weeks, if you have been able to be with us, of spending the last two weeks with Paul Harrington here, looking at this character of Abraham. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, to be able to, maybe you could go and listen to those sermons. Uh, a great kind of introduction to this figure. Uh, Abraham is where, kind of where God's rescue mission as a result of this fall, really kicks off uh, God's great promises to Abraham to bless the world through his family, to undo the curse of the fall uh, and to bring about life and peace through this world. That's what we looked at there. Uh, The story continues, if you know it, the people of God end up in Egypt, enslaved. They're brought out of Egypt in the great story of the Exodus under Moses. They're given... Uh, a law to live by and made into a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Um, uh, This is a very sort of Cook's tour, but it's important so that we can know where we're up to in Isaiah. Uh, If you know the story, the kingdom of Israel doesn't last very long. It kind of fractures pretty much almost straight away. Uh, It splits into um, two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom, what gets called, continues to get called Israel, uh, and the southern kingdom, which gets called Judah. A little confusing, but you get the idea. The story goes on. Um, God's people continue to rebel and reject God as their maker and king. And God judges them in the exile. Um, Both the northern and the southern kingdoms are exiled. Um, The story comes to its climax as Jesus fulfills all these things uh, and starts the church as the new people of God. And the whole thing is moving towards, right at the end, a new creation under Jesus as Lord, a creation free from sin, uh, renewed in life and peace, living uh, at, at, at peace with God and with each other in complete perfection. Okay, look, friends, I know that that's not, uh, yeah, that, that can be a little kind of uh, overwhelming if it's all hit you at once, but I think it's helpful to get that big picture of the whole story because what we're going to do now is just zoom in. I hope this works. Hey, yeah, there we go. Uh, we're going to zoom in uh, to this part of the story about where you can see there the divided kingdom. Israel is divided, it's fractured. Um, God continues to give promises to his people, uh, but they continue to rebel and uh, he, he ends up punishing them through the exile. Uh, and Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, is written around this time, uh, around the time of the exile of Israel and looking forward, looking ahead to the exile of Judah, the southern kingdom. Um, Isaiah, uh, the, the book itself is, is kind of written uh, through these events of the exile where the northern kingdom of Israel is brutally taken away from their land, uh, enslaved in a place called Assyria, uh, and looking ahead to the, the same thing that's going to happen to Judah as they get carried off to Babylon. All details that you don't really need to lock away necessarily, but really helpful as we think through uh, what it is that Isaiah is trying to say uh, through his prophecy. Okay, Um, what you notice then, uh, Isaiah is written in the time of the exile. He he, he saw all of that, and Isaiah is a prophet. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet, someone who received in that time, in that period where Israel was... 
receiving the, the, the punishment for their continued rejection of God, uh, their continued failure to live with him as their king. Um, Isaiah was someone who received a message from God and proclaimed that to God's people at a particular moment in time. Uh, this was a crucial time in Israel's history. And so um, this prophecy on Isaiah, and this is also really helpful as we start our series, the prophecy in Isaiah kind of mirrors, in a way, that other big story of the whole Bible. The prophecy of Isaiah starts, it opens with the city of God, Jerusalem, uh, and it moves towards the, the new Jerusalem, if you like, the renewed city of God, which is, in a way, uh, a, a mirror of the fallen creation moving to the new creation. The whole book has this flow, moving from fallen creation to new creation. And it tells of how God is going to bring about this incredible, unbelievable transformation of the world um, through, well, we'll see what, how he does that as we go along. Just very quickly, the first half of the book, we're not going to look at that. The very first half of the book is all about this judgment on God's people Israel, uh, which leads to their destruction. The very middle of the book, there's a bit of a bridge, a few chapters. It all rams home the question, who can you trust? Can you trust the kings of the nations or can you trust Yahweh? And then the second half of the book, everything changes, friends. Everything changes. And there's this incredible shift at chapter 40 where all of a sudden, uh, where we have seen the judgment of God's people leading to their destruction and their exile, God switch, the, the, the whole prophecy switches to this word of incredible comfort and hope. Chapter 40 starts with the words, comfort, comfort, my people. This is what God is promising. Um, key to that comfort, that salvation, that restoration, that transformation from fallen creation to a new heavens and a new earth, the key to all of that is are these servant songs that we're going to be looking at that really look in detail at this figure that is the key to unlocking Isaiah's pro prophecy, the servants of the Lord. Uh, this word servant is used in, Israel, in Isaiah to talk about Israel, so it can be confusing if you're reading through the whole thing. It's, it's used to talk about the people of Israel at points, but they are the failed servants. <laughs> Okay, they are the failed servant of God who were meant to be his, his servant but didn't. And, but then there's this other character who turns out to be one person who kind of represents everything Israel was supposed to be but couldn't be. Uh, the one who did what Israel was, was to do was what Israel had failed. Okay, friends, uh, I hope that's helpful in just setting the scene. I think it's helpful as we look, we're going to finish up later, uh, to think... Uh, a little bit more about how this impacts us for this particular passage. Um, but what we are going to do now is zone in on the first of these servant songs. Okay, so you can see uh, from this big picture, you can see how significant this moment is in Isaiah's prophecy of introducing this guy, this servant, this, this figure who is going to bring about this salvation and restoration. If you have your Bibles, that'll help you. Um, as we kind of track through this passage, there's also a bit of an outline in the handouts that may help you to know where we're up to as we kind of move through the passage and tie some threads together at the end. Well, friends, uh, this, 
this, this incredible figure of the servant, you can see how significant he is, not only for Isaiah, but if Isaiah holds out the, the story of the whole world and hope for restoration and transformation, you can see how significant this servant is for the whole world and for us. We saw how significant he was for Jesus. And as it opens in 42, if you have chapter 42 open in front of you, it's clear that God is speaking He's introducing this servant who's going to become this key figure, okay? 42 verse 1. Here is my servant. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. The first stake in the ground that God wants to say about this one who will bring about this incredible transformation of the whole world, the first thing he wants to say is to tell us, you know, we talked about mistaken identity. Well, he wants to tell us the identity of this one, the identity of the servant. And he is, well, you can see it there in verse 1, uh, the one who, who God upholds, his chosen one, who he delights in, the one he will put his spirit on him. All of this language, friends, uh, is language of kingship, of royalty. This is kind of royal images that are getting thrown around here. This servant that is chosen by God, delighted in um, having God's spirit on him, who would bring justice. That's what a king does. All this language is language of kingship. He is God's anointed ruler, uh, chosen his perfect king. Um, but then, then what, uh, as the kind of song progresses, it, uh, Isaiah fills out the mission, not only the identity, who this is, God's chosen king, the mission of this servant. And he's already hinted at it in verse 1. He will bring justice to the nations. Uh, but this idea of justice perhaps is bigger than we think. Um, uh, perhaps you kind of, I mean, I often get this uh, impression as I you know, listen to the news or read a newspaper or whatever, although I don't re actually read physical newspapers these days <laughs> and read the news. Um, you get the sense that uh, for, in our culture, for a lot of us, the idea of justice is about essentially um, punishing people who've done the wrong thing, right? If you think about justice, you think people getting what they deserve, right? Um, uh, and that's... That is part of uh, what this word justice means in the Old Testament, in, in the way that the Hebrew scriptures use it. It does, mean, it does include that, people sort of, uh, the wicked being punished. It does include this idea of justice, but it is a much bigger idea that's behind this. And that's what gets filled out as you read through this incredible song about the servant. Uh, justice in this bigger sense isn't simply about punishing the wrongdoer or even rewarding those who have done the right thing. It has a deeper and much more richer sense. Uh, it is all about life being ordered rightly under God as its king and lord and creator. It's about an ordered life. It means it's about relationships being made right. It's about relating to people in the right sort of a way. 
It's about recognising who God is, recognising who other people are and relating to them as we were made to relate to them. Um, so you get that sense, right, that this idea of justice, he will establish order, uh, not only through kind of what they call, you might have heard, retributive justice or something like that. It, 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 you give retribution to someone for what they've done, not only through that, but this bigger picture of bringing about peace and right relationship and order to the universe. And you get a sense here, don't you, friends, it just how huge the mission of this servant is, right? We've we've kind of glimpsed that as we saw the big picture of Isaiah, but it is a huge mission, isn't it? It's nothing less than to bring about God's plans and purposes for the whole entire world, (laughs) this mission of this servant. To make Israel's God known everywhere as the powerful creator and ruler of history. You see that as we work through, um, there's just, oh, hang on, we'll, we'll save that for a second. Uh, if, you read, if you've got your Bibles open, uh, verse 3, in faithfulness he will bring forth justice, into verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. Incredible picture of an, an earth that is at peace, <laughs> a world that is rightly relating to each other and to, the, and to God as their king. And this is what the servant's going to do. But verses 6 to 7 describe this cosmic justice. Okay, It's up on the screen there. Uh, this bringing of the world into right order. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. This is God speaking to the servant. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This servant was to be a covenant for the people. God, in the story of the Bible, God relates to his people through covenants, through these um, promises and commitments that bind God and his people together. And this servant would himself be the embodiment of this covenant, not just with Israel, but with the whole world. All of God's purposes and promises would be brought to fulfilment through him. He, this is, one writer says this, this is just a really helpful quote. This is what the mission of this servant would be. He would undo all the horrendous and degrading effects that sin has had on the human race. I mean, I'll, I'll read that again because it's so marvellous, isn't it? He will undo all the horrendous and degrading effects that sin has had on the human race and restore to people their true freedom, their true freedom and dignity as sons and daughters of God. This is the mission of this servant. It is an incredible claim. Um, For those of us who've been around sort of uh, churches a while, Christian uh, has been a Christian for a long time. I, I, I don't know if you feel this, I certainly experience it. It's really easy to, um, to kind of just forget what an extraordinary, what an unimaginable and incredible thing the Christian claim is. That this one, how mind-blowing it is, that everything 
in this world, everything in your life, everything across the whole world that is out of joint, that is broken, that is wicked, everything that causes us such pain will be put right. Will be put right. But notice how God hammers home. I mean, it is an incredible claim, right? And I can understand, actually, uh, the thought of saying, really? <laughs> really? I mean, but do you notice what God does? He is at, he just hammers home the guarantee, his guarantee of this servant. He wants people reading this to know that this is not an aspirational goal, you know? Like, this is not wishful thinking. This is not him trying to just cheer up the troops before they get slaughtered or something, you know? Like, it's, it's not an aspiration. This absolutely is guaranteed. Verse 5. This is what the Lord, what God the Lord says. And who is it who says this, friends? The creator. <laughs> the creator of the heavens who, who stretches them out who spreads out the earth and everything that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. That's who is saying this, who guarantees this. And he just kind of rams it home even further at the end. Did you notice that as we read through verse 8? I am the Lord, Yahweh, God's own personal name that he gave to Israel. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Friends, perhaps you find yourself thinking, this is nice, um, but could it be true? <laughs> Well, the Lord, Yahweh, the one who created heavens and earth, who will not yield his glory to another, he declares it. Before things spring into being, he declares the new things that he is doing. He has done it in the past and he will do it in the future. Here's a majestic picture of what this servant will do. But even that, friends, I want us to be kind of blown away by the bigness of this servant's mission and who he is and the guarantee and all of that. But even that is not, I think, the most astonishing thing about this passage. That comes not only with who he is and what he will do, but how he will do it. He is not only God's chosen king, the bringer of cosmic justice to the world, he is the servant. And even in that title, you should get a sense for the character of this one. But, friends, it's so beautiful, isn't it? He's the servant who is tender and humble. Verse 2. Uh, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. This great chosen king, he doesn't go about his kingdom like we expect, 
Do you get the sense that, of that? He doesn't go out about his kingdom like every other kind of institution of power in this world that does cry out and make their presence felt and that doesn't care about bruised reeds and that doesn't care about wicks that are about to go out. He doesn't go about his kingdom like that. He doesn't rule with pomp and ceremony. He is so tender, he is attracted to the outcast and the vulnerable. He, do you notice that? He's so aware of even the most insignificant thing, the insignificant people. A bruised reed he will not break. Think about a reed, okay? Think about a reed, you know, if you're going for a walk along the river, as you get reeds that come up, every, you, you, maybe there's one that's fallen out or been pulled out, thrown on the ground. It's been trodden on a few times, all bruised. That's kind of the picture. It's crushed. It doesn't have any strength to stand up on itself, by itself. It's bruised, it's crushed, and, 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 and it's not noticed, right? You don't, you don't kind of go about noticing or looking for bruised reeds, right? It's overlooked. The servants, the Lord of heaven and earth, who will bring about justice, he notices bruised reeds and he won't break them. He notices bruised reeds. Think of a struggling candle, right? You get that picture? It's the flame, it's, it's gone out, it's just smouldering away. The wick is about to get snuffed out. But this servant, He's so tender, he won't even, he won't snuff it out. And underneath all of this, friends, we are meant to see the heart of this servant and the hope that this one brings, the one who brings justice cosmically. Don't you see the hope that bruised reeds can be healed and smouldering wicks reignited by this one? There's a famous um, little sort of a shortish book um, by a guy called Richard Sibbs. It's written a long time ago, so it's called kind of in Old English. Uh, it's, it's the, it uses this title, The Bruised Read, and I've printed out uh, about 25 copies, I think, of the first couple of chapters. It's sort of out of copyright, so there's wonderful books where you can just share them around. Uh, feel free to take one if you'd like at the end. Um, he reflects on this. And I just thought I'd read it out for us. Uh, what shall we learn from this? What shall we learn from this? But to come boldly to the throne of grace in all our grievances. Shall our sins discourage us when he appears there only for sinners? Isn't that marvellous? Shall our sins discourage us when he appears there only for sinners? Are you bruised? Be of good comfort, he calls you. Conceal not your wounds, open all before him, and take not Satan's counsel. Go to Christ, although trembling as the poor woman who said, If I may but touch his garments, we shall be healed and have a gracious answer. Go boldly to God in our flesh. He is flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone for this reason that we may, may go boldly to him. 
Never fear to go to God, since we have such a mediator with him who is not only our friend but our brother and husband. Well might the angel proclaim from heaven, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Well might the apostles stir us up to rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Paul was well advised upon what grounds he did it. Peace and joy are two main fruits of Christ's kingdom. Let the world be as it will. If we cannot rejoice in the world, yet we may rejoice in the Lord. His presence makes any condition comfortable. Be not afraid, he says to his disciples when they were afraid, as if they'd seen a ghost. It is I, as if there were no cause of fear where he was present. As I said, sort of um, unfamiliar way of speaking, but be not afraid, he says to his disciples. This is the one, this is the servant, this is the one who Jesus comes as. Friends, I know that there are many here today who are bruised reeds, who feel like their flame is going out. To some degree or another, we are all like that. We all feel the bruising of this broken world and we all sooner or later face the reality of our own mortality, our own light being put out. We have friends here who suffer physically, friends here who suffer mentally, uh, with at times overwhelming anxiety or depression, friends who have a past they can't escape and they want to forget, friends whose family Life is marked by pain. Friends, the list goes on. Isaiah started this section of his prophecy. Remember we saw the whole book? The second half is all about God's comfort and restoration of his people. Chapter 40 starts with the words, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Friends, we're going to think as we finish up how this all sort of um, impacts us in the bruising of our own hearts. But before, as well alongside that, friends, we, there is so much bruising that we experience simply by being, being in this fallen world, simply by being a part of this world that is racked by sin and death and uh, that is so deeply broken. But what I want to do now is just focus a little bit on a kind of deeper bruising that Isaiah flags here if you're looking for it. A kind of deeper bruising that is dealt with more fully as the songs go on. And you kind of see this deeper bruising when you see this passage as part of the whole story. Remember, the first part of Isaiah is all about God's judgment on his people and on the nations for their rebellion and their rejection of him, for the hardness of their hearts, that they would not return to him. And an Israelite, someone from the nation of Israel in exile, who has experienced this judgment, reading this passage, reading Isaiah 42, would be able to say, A bruised reed, yes, 
I am a bruised reed. The people of Israel were bruised, but their bruising was because of God's judgment on their sin, on their rejection of him and their refusal to love him and trust him. Friends, we need to be careful here. Uh, I'm not saying, and I think we must not say, um, that our bruises in a general sense are the result of a particular sin that is wrong and Jesus explicitly teaches against that. Um, so that's not what we're saying here. So much of our bruising simply happens because we live in a broken world. Because we live in this broken world and that's, uh, you cannot connect it to a particular thing. But while we are bruised because of that, and each, each of us experiences that differently, Isaiah reveals here, I think, a deeper bruising that every person shares in. The bruising of sin. And in Isaiah's big picture, it's this bruising that is actually at the heart of the servant's mission. We don't get to how he heals this deeper bruising that we all share in uh, until later on in, I think, a few weeks' time where we look at chapter 53, the incredible chapter. But here there is such comfort, isn't there? What I just want to finish on here is even this bruising, even this bruising of our sin that brings us under the judgment of God, as well as all the other bruising we experience just from being in this world, but even that bruising that doesn't come because of our circumstances, but that comes because of our own rebellious hearts, even that bruising will not stop us coming to the servant. It will not stop us. That, in fact, that was the reason that he came. Friends, in the word of the servant, God speaks tenderly to his people a word of comfort for everything that batters us, both from without but also from within. This word, it won't necessarily change our circumstances. It won't change our illnesses necessarily or our past. It will do something far more wonderful. It will give you a relationship with the servant king, Jesus Christ. He is God's chosen king. He is the one and only son on whom God's spirit rested in a complete and unique way. He is the one who in his own death and resurrection has brought about complete and cosmic justice to the nations he is the one who promises to return to bring that victory, that justice to its completion. He is the one who promises victory, forgiveness and victory and whose promise is certain because it is guaranteed by the Lord, by Yahweh, who stretches out the heavens. This is who Jesus is, this king, this bringer of justice. And brothers and sisters, this mighty king, he is the one who cares for and can heal bruised reeds, who can reignite smouldering wicks. Let's pray that he'll do that now, can we? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful word about your servant, your chosen one in whom you delight. Thank you that lifts our eyes to the reality of the incredible and cosmic thing that he will do. That he has already done in his own death and resurrection and will complete when he returns to bring justice to the nations. 
to open eyes that are blind, to bring light to the whole world, to free captives from prison. Father, please help us to trust this servant king. Please help us to, in all our bruising, I pray particularly, Lord, for any of us here this morning who do just feel like that uh, bruised reed or a smouldering wick uh, who have no strength in themselves left. Uh, Father, may they, may we all entrust ourselves into the care of the one who will bring justice and who notices bruised reeds, who cares for them, who will not break them. Uh, please, Father, we pray that that will do that. You will do your work in us as we fix our eyes on this servant, particularly over the next five weeks. In Jesus' name, Amen.